On this episode of Resi Week, Ankyo announces a big reorganization. We talk about the future of home automation and whether or not smart homes are ripe for hackers. All that and more next on Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 39, recorded Monday, October 31st, 2016, Open Homes. Resi Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Access Network. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. And today I'm pleased to be joined by, we're going to do this in order as they appear on my screen, uh, Jason Griffin from, he's the business development and operations uh, manager at Harrison Home Systems. He's also the co-host of the Home Tech Podcast, which is one of our favorite shows. Uh, and he's a contributor over at Resi Systems. So Jason, how are you today? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. Look forward to our conversation. Oh, it's going to be enlightening, I promise. Mainly because of the gentleman who's beside you, Jason Knott. He's the, uh, you're the senior editor over at uh, CE Pro. Is that not correct? Close enough. Close I'm enough. <laughs> I, I realized as I led into that, that I didn't actually have your title down. So That's all right. <laughs> so I'm making stuff up, you know. You're right. Yeah, I clean the toilets too. Ooh, I was going to say you're Julie's <laughs> boss, but I don't. She's done next week, and I don't want to get harassed for that one. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, our our good friend Ted Green, the editor of Strategy.com. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's fall. The leaves are changing. I'm surrounded by gorgeous colors. Life's good. Excellent. I uh, I'm not looking forward to raking all those leaves, which is my only. <laughs> My only thing on that one. But you uh, have kids. I do, but they're not old enough to rake. They're old <laughs> enough to hopefully hopefully get a picture or two of them looking somewhat cute in a pile of leaves. Look to the future. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Opposed to last year where he, he just cried as soon as we put him in it. Um, gentlemen, let's start this off. This kind of made uh, a fair amount of news last week. And uh, the wire cutter, this comes through us from the wire cutter. Uh, are smart homes open houses for hackers? Part of the reason this is a big deal this this week is last week, as most of you know, there was a major denial of service attack that used a, a lovely large uh, network of technically smart home technologies to take down most of the network, the internet on the East Coast. The reason I wanted to jump into this is one, uh, Jason, you've written a ton about IoT uh, recently, but more importantly, we've kind of hit a point in our, our, our industry where we're seeing a massive amount of you know, DIY products hitting the market that are all also IoT devices. We're seeing you know, clients bringing in a lot of stuff we've heard of. And also a lot of stuff that we haven't heard of as, as, as integrators. What does it mean to, to an integrator when they walk into a site and see, you know, a device that either they haven't heard of 
or B, they don't have any knowledge of the, the inherent security that's built into that device. Jason, I kind of want to start with you because as, as sure. I mentioned, you, you wrote about this recently. Yeah, yeah, it's a big topic. Obviously, these stories uh, got a lot of attention. I do think, you know, before we jump in and talk too much about IoT, I do feel like that aspect of the story was a little bit, I don't want to say misreported, but maybe over-exaggerated. This, this recent spat of attacks was really more what I would call traditional home technology products. You know, it was a, a particular uh, Chinese camera manufacturer that was really exploited very heavily um, to, to kind of produce these latest attacks. And so I think that the fact that we have the Internet of Things and that there's so many more devices coming onto the network, um, it definitely increases the possibility for large attacks like this to happen just by, um, you know, the law of averages. But I think that, you know, by and large, I, I actually really enjoyed this particular article that you guys pointed out. I thought it was a refreshing read because it, it didn't use a lot of scare tactics, it sort of put things in perspective and, and really laid out some pretty common sense uh, steps that both home technology professionals and end users as well mm -hmm. Um, can employ to secure themselves. Things that are very, very basic, like changing the default passwords, uh, making sure you're running a firewall, uh, sticking with reputable brands. You know, all these things are really, really simple um, to do and, and are going to help protect you. So I think to come a little bit more directly to your question, um, as far as a home technology professional, if we're walking into these jobs or looking at potential jobs that have this sort of equipment, I think it's clearly an opportunity for us to get educated and then position, position ourselves as the experts on this topic and make sure that our clients understand that's part of what they're paying us for um, is to help keep their network and their data secure. Very good. Other Jason, Jason not, um, how in-depth do dealers need to get when they're walking into a home, just like Jason said, and they're seeing devices that they want to have that conversation about? How in, like how do you balance the or walk the line between scaring the client and doing the whole, yeah, this thing you bought off eBay that's made in China that no one's ever heard of, it might be a big back door into your network. Um, how do you how do you balance that line versus not oversimplifying how big of a deal it can be to have some of these these products that maybe don't have the end user security at the, the forefront of their technology. Yeah, I would just reiterate what Jason said and that this really does put the integrator in a prime position to be the uh, key person, uh, the, the gatekeeper, so to speak, between all that bad, nasty stuff out there and uh, the homeowner. I recently heard a, um, uh, manufacturer uh, speak, then this might be a good question for integrators to ask or when they're selecting particular products, that one question that they advise the integrators to ask is uh, to ask the manufacturer if they if their device in any way is using shareware or type of um, programming language versus it being written specifically by the manufacturer for his device and uh, they pointed out that, oddly enough, in many cases, the admin password for IP addressable devices that the hackers use is admin. And so most cases, they just have to get into the network, they get to the admin password, they type in, they type in the word admin, and a huge majority of the time they can get in there. So another piece of advice, integrators need to go in and switch that 
as Jason said, switch that password right away on every device they do just to protect their clients. Well, Ted, is this something that we as dealers need to be uh, extra vigilant in the products that we're selling? And, you know, even if it's a brand name, just like Jason mentioned, even if it's a brand name product, verifying or, or trying to discern whether or not they're using open source code in their products or uh, shareware products. How much of this is something that we can, I don't want to say pass off to the, to the manufacturer, but at, at what point is it hard for the dealer to, to discern some of these potential uh, loops or, or loopholes? Wow. Okay. So that's a big question. I know. And I think that's yeah, why I gave I, it to you. Thanks so much. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I, I think number one, I think Grant did a great job in this article. Um, I like a lot of what he said. If there was one thing I take a little exception to is his comment, which he, I think he repeated himself a couple of times that most people don't have to worry about this. You know, they're, they're not going to be a target of a hacker, but in fact, well, hold on. You, can I, can I just, jump on that point for one second because that was my big issue too he says that but this is most of these attacks are very rarely like a one-to-one -one, hey i'm coming after you ted green i'm right. gonna hack your light bulb that is right. my I, purpose right <laughs> it's right. bots but the, right <laughs> right but what you know but basically what's happening is these hackers have sophisticated techniques in which they can harvest devices on the internet to use to amass a large bot network then to uh, do a distributed denial of service attack DDoS attack. So in, in, a res in some respects, what, what most I think what most consumers might be concerned about is their devices being compromised and being used for purposes other than, other than that which they intended. Right. So to get back to your specific question, which is how much of this rests on the shoulders of the dealers, I, I think what you're going to find is I think you're going to find the industry start uh, start to move to address this issue overall. I'll give you one example. Um, as you uh, correctly identified me, I am the editor of strategy.com, an online tech industry website newsletter, but I also have a marketing company. And I, I, my marketing company right now is in discussion with a new emerging, emerging company that um, has already made product modifications based on what happened last week. Um, it was a wake-up call for many people. In the industry. There's so much pressure in our industry to develop new devices, lesser expensive devices, mm -hmm. um, and it's easy to convince yourself to compromise some of the elements of the design or maybe not put a lot of investment in the security parameters, but this was a wake-up call for a lot of people. And I think you're going to see the industry address it. So, the long answer to the short question is, is that we'll all bear some responsibility to, the, to make sure that the devices that we're selling and installing and manufacturing and selling, um, you know, uh, have uh, advanced uh, security um, um, parameters built into it. And the dealers need to learn, and this, is, this has existed for a while, this really isn't uh, as Jason, uh, Jason number one said, this isn't really a, 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 a new thing. This has actually been around good network installation techniques, mm -hmm. things as basic as changing the admin for the username, changing the default password. Don't use 1234 as your password or don't use the word password as your password, but just use good, basic, solid installation techniques. And uh, this will actually... Uh, I think turn out to be another one of the value adds for consumers or end users 
to retain a high quality uh, home technology professional to do the installation, it will help protect them from you know these kinds of attacks. So um, I think it operates on a lot of levels. I, and again, DDoS attacks have existed for a while. This mm -hmm. was a big one. This took down Twitter. This took down some very big websites. And I think it was a wake up call. And and while I think Jason's right that it isn't necessarily so much an IoT story, I can tell you right now that um, IoT is very susceptible to this kind of, everybody's coming up with very inexpensive sensors, cameras, and, and um, they're very susceptible to, um, you know, uh, getting involved in stories like this in the future. So I think it, it was, I think Grant did a good job on his story. Um, and, um, you know, like Jason said, you know, he didn't rely so much on scare tactics, but I think it is a wake-up call for the industry, and I think we all bear some sense, some share of the responsibility mm -hmm. for raising the game, raising our game on security issues. Just like I think with IoT, and I know this is a little bit of a different topic, but I believe IoT is going to raise some very serious questions about privacy. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to raise huge questions about that. So these Matt, are let stories. me interject something real quick. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers, uh, at Cedia 2015, the keynote was a guy by the name of Michael Rogers, and he said, just talking about how this could be an avenue or an opening for integrators, he said that in the future, integrators will be paid highly to keep their clients off the network. So interesting kind of twist. Well, it's, it's something, you, you raise a really good point there. It's something to be said for having all these devices online to get that information that you want, but it's also knowing how to segregate and firewall and blank these out so that when you, you know, your clients walk in, it's not instantly sending that information of, you know, John homeowner just got home at this time and he turned this thermostat on and did this and did that not getting that out into the main network, making sure that that stays in-house where it hopefully should, should stay. Um, but that was, that was very good. Let's, let's move on briefly uh, over to Ted's website, uh, strategy.com. He has a great uh, article that he's reporting on. The Onkyo internal sales structure is being reorganized. Uh, and this came down uh, end of last week on one of their national sales calls that they are kind of, let's say they're, they're, they're not rebranding, but they're repositioning some things. They're going to create two divisions and uh, Ted, you'll correct me if I get this wrong. Um, but my understanding is that they're essentially going to have their traditional AV, you know, AV receivers, a traditional AV products uh, under one umbrella and then all their CE products uh, kind of under another umbrella. What makes this interesting is that they carry, you know, four different uh, AV lines, if you will, that previously were being uh, serviced by individual sales channels. And now, again, if I'm if I'm discerning this properly, uh, they're now going to be handled by one. Ted. One, is this that big of a deal, which I believe it is, but is it that big of a deal? And how much of it will come down to just that sales channel change? Um, 
Okay, so it is a big deal, although, you know, I've been anticipating some kind of an announcement like this. In 2014, Onkyo bought Pioneer's AV division, and um, so it was clear that at some point in time, there was going to be some form of a reorganization. There's a duplicative functions in each company, mm -hmm. and um, so this announcement has been coming for a long time. Um, it's really unclear how big it is. Um, you know, we need more information. We need more detail. They're being very uh, tight-lipped about this. Um, and um, in, so the answer is uh, it could be not a big deal at all or it could be a, a huge deal. From a functional perspective right now, what does it mean for the, the – in Tim's note, he said to me, what does this mean uh, to all of us? What does this mean for the dealers? I think, you know, it, it, it means not a lot for the dealers right now except that whoever they're currently doing business with to acquire their either Onkyo, Integra, Pioneer, or Pioneer Elite products may change as they restructure the organization, as they reassign. Certainly mm -hmm. there are reps, there are independent specialty reps for each one of those, for, in many, and for most of those, if not all of them, um, they're gonna change because the other thing that was mentioned in my story that is probably the biggest element of this story is that the company has announced that they will be, um, instead of having multiple sales firms in each geographical territory, they're gonna consolidate um, to one rep firm um, carrying all four brands in each territory. This is very similar to what core brands did mm -hmm. when they were consolidating their brands. The other thing that's a little bit unique about this is that some companies, when they combine like this, they keep separate sales and marketing front end and they rationalize their back, out, back office and, and backroom operations. Um, what Onkyo has done here is a little bit unique in our industry, but very common in other industries. And that is they've been uh, very much pursued by uh, consumer packaged good industries, for example. And what they're doing is they're aligning by uh, markets rather than by, um, so, so in other words, right. they're creating two major product divisions. So by product lines, they're breaking it out. And each product line, each division will have um, all four brands but they'll be broken down based on what the product, as you pointed out in your uh, preamble to the question, um, they'll be broken down by products, whether they're component products or whether they're digital products. So it's a little bit unique in that, in that regard. Um, and so it's a little unclear just how impactful it's going to be, but um, again, not unexpected for uh, two companies, two big companies combining. Right. So let's, let's jump into some speculative fun. Jason G because I feel like if I call one of you, it's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> For dealers that were Onkyo dealers, is this something akin to kind of the Denon Morantz move of years past where if you were a Denon guy, once they combined, you kind of had an, av an easier avenue to obtain Morantz. Is this potentially going to be that kind of uh, situation where guys that are selling Onkyo are now going to have an easier path or a uh, a much easier time obtaining Pioneer, Pioneer Elite, or Integra, or whatever other line they want because it's now consolidated? Sure. I, yeah, I think there'll be an element of that to it. I don't know how big of a deal that is. I mean, AV receivers are these days, so it's not like if you have any interest in selling uh, you know, if you're a big, we're a big integrity dealer, and if I, for whatever reason, need to go out and sell uh, a Pioneer or a Sony or whatever other line of AV receiver that is, 
that's not a difficult thing to do. Um, I do think it will get easier in the sense that maybe now if, if I've got one manufacturer rep uh, who's repping all of those lines, that they're going to be a little bit more uh, aggressive about educating me on those products and they may make me aware of some compelling reasons to sell an Onkyo or a Pioneer that maybe I didn't know about before. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there could be an element of that at play. I, I was trying to think about this and, and figure out, you know, how's this going to affect my world? I, I, I really don't know. Like I said, we're a big Integra dealer. So I think I'll, pro I'll probably put in a call this week to our, uh, our rep here in Denver to figure out if they know anything and see what's going on just so we can kind of make some arrangements and get ready um, if that's going to change. But, um, you know, from a really high level industry business perspective, uh, Ted's the guy. I follow all his stuff on these stories. I know his coverage of the Sharp acquisition a while back was excellent. Um, and so I, I, I love Ted's work on these. I, I typically kind of defer to him because it's just not my world. I, I quite honestly, I, I can't make heads or tails of the story in terms of, of what it's really going to mean to me in my day-to-day -day business. Now, if, if none of you guys are going to butt heads on anything, this is going to be a really boring show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look for something, Matt. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> just, just find one little thing to needle. Just uh, like it, it could be punctuation. I don't care. I'm fine. <laughs> Jason K, um, will this increase or complicate the, the sales and or support side of it now that everything's combined? When I, I guess traditionally we expect that if it's all being handled sales-wise from one company, that they will be well-versed on everything. But you've had it separated for so long, and we know that none of these products, although they're very similar, they all have their own nuances. Is that really going to affect anyone? I think long-term, the answer is probably no. I mean, if you look at core brands, I'll reiterate what Ted said. You know, they Again, went through this. Needle, and, and, something. Yeah, when it was all, <laughs> when it was all shake, when it was all shook, shook out at the end, it did. There was some obviously angst that occurred in the rep community and, and the dealers. It was an opportunity for cross selling. I think that the wrinkle is exactly what Ted pointed out: that you've got a, this Integra brand that is totally focused on the custom installation channel, and then you still got this. Um, you've got kind of the Onkyo brand that isn't. Mm -hmm. So that's the one wrinkle versus if you want to make the Speakercraft Niles comparison to the core brands days. But I think in the long term, I think for the integrators who are going to sell these, it's exactly what you just described. You and Jason G were describing there that it's going to be a cross-selling opportunity. And in, in, the, in the end, it won't, um, it might be some short-term pain, but long-term gain. Very good. Yeah, Matt, I, Matt, if I can right. jump in real quick. You Are you going to agree with everyone else? Uh, uh, well, <laughs> only because they agree with me. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I talked to several dealers, and, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, you know, the, the dealers in general – uh, you know, are kind of resigned to this is what's going on in the, in the mm -hmm. industry these days. And so they're kind of cautiously optimistic, like, you know, companies are going to do these kinds of things and we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. But if there was any real angst that was expressed, it was from what Jason G brought up and, and, uh, J and Jason K as well. And that is that, you know, Integra within that organization always had 
customized programs for Integra. They were very careful distribution-wise mm -hmm. with Integra. It got very special handling. So does it retain that special status when it's now part of a larger organization and, um, you know, and other people are involved? There's going to be other uh, sales managers involved. There may um, you know, there, there, you know, in this change, there's, there's always, uh, you know, there's always, um, some degree of consternation and change because mm -hmm. nobody knows how, how it's going to end up. But, um, you know, um, otherwise for the most part, mo from the dealers that I spoke with, um, they all were kind of, well, we'll just wait and see how, it, how it plays out. Some concern, some general concern, but we'll wait and see how it plays out. Except for Integra dealers were a little more concerned. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to see you know, in six months in a year where it's gone specifically with Integra, just for, for that reason that you mentioned, because, you know, we've, we've seen across the board, a lot of these, you know, consolidations have, I don't want to say negatively impact the CI channel, but when you get stuff that is mainstream and then it buys up a CI channel product, it very often goes more mainstream than it's, you know, leans ci so it'll be it'll right, be interesting to watch you're an integrity dealer too aren't you i am not oh you're not okay no no I, that that was my my big comeback to jason g was up here it's not that easy just to go pick up something you want because you want it mm. not to is mention that, is that you needling me matt <laughs> you're wrong on that point <laughs> not everywhere no, yeah, that's a fair point. I, I didn't think about that. So that, that could certainly have some implications. But I think generally, um, AB receivers are a fairly commoditized line. They are. I, I just don't see a ton of differences, you know, between the two. I think most, most integrators pick one, they get comfortable with it. It's quality product, it's reliable, it, you know, it performs functions A, B, and C, and that's what we need. And so we just kind of don't rock the boat there. And so I, I think by and large, I don't, I don't see this particular story having a huge effect on us. I think Ted makes a good point, though, about uh, will Integra continue to get that, that special handling? And obviously, that'll remain to be seen. Which is really you saying, will you, Jason G, continue to get special handling from your Integra rep? <laughs> I, 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 I'm reading between the lines. I get what you're saying. Maybe. I understand. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, very good. Let's, uh, let's move on real quickly. I believe we have enough time for this. This comes to us from CE Pro and Julie Jacobson. She moderated a panel with a couple of my favorite people. Uh, you got Haggai on there. You can see him right here. Oh, you can't see my mouse. I'm circling him on my monitor. You just can't see it. And, of <laughs> course, uh, Vin Bruno from Cedia, as well as a couple other uh, great people. They were moderating a panel at... Um, how do we decide we were saying this? Azion. Phonetics. Wow. Um, yes. So they uh, they were moderating up or she, Julie moderated a panel. Let's get this right. Uh, talking about uh, connected homes, IoT. Essentially, five years down the road, where do we see this going? And you know, the the question that she asked that got the most response was, where should we expect? technology-wise, to be in five years. And there were some, there were some interesting responses. Uh, but again, it, it kind of leads back to the, the first story we talked about was what most of these people are seeing is we're seeing a massive amount of cognitive systems going in, sensor immersion, and 
you know, these IOT devices providing information back to the home or a third party. This raises the question of, you know, are we, are we actually expecting to see all of these devices get online? Um, Julie specifically mentions uh, like, you know, your water heater or your furnace um, or your sump pump. Are these items that for the general populace we're, we're expecting to see? This is an open question. Feel free to jump in. I'll, I'll I don't think here. there's I, a lot of them. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, yeah. I, I think without question, I, I think that the, the evolution that we're going to see I don't know if it's over five years or longer or shorter, but the evolution that we're going to see, I, I think this conversation about deep sensor networks in the home and having sensors uh, performing functions such as monitoring uh, elderly people so they can age in place, um, sump pumps, heaters, appliances, they, they can give us real intelligence, actionable stuff that we can do to, to do maintenance and monitor energy, energy usage. I, I think if anything, that functionality is, is probably more appealing to a broad swath of the population than what we're currently thinking of as smart home technology, which is, you know, for a lot of people, the general public, it, to them, that means, oh, I can turn my lights on and off with my phone, right? And that's not all that compelling uh, to a lot of people. And so I think as this intelligence gets built into the home more and more, um, home technology integrators really need to be looking very hard at that market because there's going to be a value chain there and figuring out how we fit in that equation and what we can do to be a part of it, it is critical for our industry because that moves beyond, you know, novelty entertainment devices. It moves beyond, you know, the basic things like convenience and security, which are all super important. Um, but when we get into talking about the truly intelligent home and what these sensor networks could do for a home potentially, to me, that's a pretty exciting area. And I think it's one that uh, the industry should be looking really hard at. Jason K, you had a, I wish yeah, you I, agree with everything he just said. Well, no, but I would don't call this a Hillary pivot, but it's kind of close. Um, I would say that <laughs> the the bigger picture out of this whole discussion is what does the integrator of 2025 look like? And here we're talking everything that Jason said is going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so now I, I, I kind of go back to the old alarm days of the 1990s when ADT and Brinks and everybody came in with the mass market system and all the integrators who were out there in the security business that were selling $10,000 alarm systems uh, easily had to make a decision. And it was, where is my business going to go? And I think there, you're going to see the same thing in this space where integrators are going to have to, there's going to be a protected luxury area. There's going to be integrators at the high end that will be protected and shielded from, from wherever the business goes. You're going to have integrators who are going to have to pivot into the commercial space, I believe. And then you're going to have guys who are going to have to decide whether their business is something that can compete with these types of products you're talking about and the do it for me or the DIY space, whether it's part of their traditional business or they set up a separate company, which is what a lot of alarm companies did. They kept their same traditional business, so they, they protected their brand and they set up a totally separate company under a different name so they could exploit this market. But I think for our, for, for CE pros, for integrators, the bigger question isn't that the technology is, where's the technology going? It's where is my business going to fit into this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I would, I would posture that 
most 2025, as you mentioned, it's not going to be the AV guys. It's going to be the residential network guys that are putting this all together and making everything work. Um, the last kind of question I had out of this story was when do we predict, when do we expect to see these technology trends um, and, you know, the deep sensor network and all this other stuff, when do we expect to actually see that be a, a, a purchasing driving factor for people when it comes to their residential space? <laughs> It's hard to say, but the one thing I will say is when it does come to fruition, then that is the time when you're going to see a big opportunity for a national player to enter this space with a nationwide program with, with uh, where he will have, you know, whether it's homeadvisors.com or whoever the heck it is, I don't know, but they will, when that come when that point comes, you will see a national play in this space. Uh, that uses layers of subcontractors to do installations for them, um, and it's the deal, the do it for me market. But I can't predict the year. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think that that was uh, probably a good question for Julie to ask. Where is technology going to be in five years? But some trends are so huge they take time to develop. Probably the best example I can give of that is it took almost ten years, almost a decade from the original concept of home theater to be introduced into the market for it to be a real driving factor behind field sales of products that supported home theater. So IOT is a huge area. There's just some inexorable forces driving the industry that direction. And I think it is inescapable. Where will it be in five years? You know, I don't know that anybody knows where it'll be in five years, but the day is definitely coming. Personally, my feeling is you're going to see, uh, you know, I, I, I was I was interested to see Vin Bruno talk about how integrators need to be able to service any LM, any any part of the market as it develops. Personally, I think you're going to see um, the stratification of, of integration. I think you're going to find integrators that are going to focus on some element of the industry, and that's going to be where they're going to optimize their business processes around whatever that stratification is. And, you know, that includes DIY, I think. Um, but 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 I, I don't I think that if you try to be a too much of a generalist on broad markets, um, you you uh, you're going to find that difficult from a business model perspective to be really efficient and successful at that. So I think you're going to see further stratification of integration. Um, but I agree with um, Jason Kay that um, that um, there's going to be a need and, and maybe even a growing need for um, high quality uh, integration companies um, down in, in, you know, in, in the future and throughout time. Um, I also think that one of the defining factors um, that we may see in systems of the future is artificial intelligence. I think you're gonna see tremendous development uh, in artif artificial intelligence. And I think artificial intelligence is gonna be employed to help these systems all look better, work better. I can tell you that I interviewed John Clancy of Crestron and Crestron's definitely looking in that direction. Um, you know, these systems have become so sophisticated and, you know, these, you know, deep sensors uh, of the home, uh, your, your, your home's going to be generating so much data and have so much capability that I think what's going to happen is that artificial intelligence is going to be the way to make it all work 
for the end user. So, um, yeah, I think there's going to be some interesting things roll out. Whether it'll be in five years or 10 years, I don't know. But, you know, this industry never stands still. That's, that's very true. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. That's uh, going to put us at time. Thanks for being here, guys. Uh, Jason G., where can people connect with you? And specifically, sure, yeah. where can they find your podcast? Yeah, yeah, thank you. So best way, probably at Home Tech Podcast on Twitter uh, or Jason at hometech.fm. Those are both uh, great ways to reach me, and I'll definitely see it. So thanks for having me on, Matt. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for being here and agreeing with everyone else on the panel. It made for stimulating <laughs> what I'm podcasts. Here for. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Knott, thank you again for, uh, for being here. You're one of our regulars. Where can people connect with you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Jason W. Knott or, of course, on cebro.com. And thanks for having me. I thought the discussion was really, really good today. Well, it's very easy when everyone has the same opinion. I was just going to say that I agree. We, we agreed that we don't know where it's heading. That's, we all agree we don't know. No, We're truly expert at not knowing where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Mr. Green, thank you again. I, uh, you know, obviously, we use a ton of your stuff. Uh, where can people connect with you? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Matt. I always enjoy it. It's great to be with you and the, and the guys. Um, I, I can be reached on Twitter, uh, Ted Green, T-E-D-G-R-E-E-N, Facebook.com uh, slash Ted Green, T-E-D-G-R-E-E-N, or uh, strategy.com, that's uh, S-T-R-A-T-A hyphen G-E-E.com is really a good place to reach me uh, through the contact page. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Uh, for myself, you can find me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv. You'll find this show as well as a wide variety of our other shows that cover all the other verticals that we cover. When you stop by the website, please make sure you check out our underwriters. They support us, and we're extremely thankful for it. And we ask that you support them if you like what we're doing. Drop them a note and, and tell them that you like the content. Uh, that is all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. 